You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. Welcome. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. I'm taking from that that you like, like watching, watching people rock climb. Back of people when they're active. That's all I'm gonna like, say. Okay, <laughs> there's going to be there's, there's a be reason why I kind of enjoy football sometimes. Welcome to The Legendarium. This is episode 238 of The Legendarium podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. If you're just joining us now, wow, do you have a lot of catching up to do. And it will take just about everything that you can possibly do. And if you've been with us for a while, you'll say... They got to 238 episodes? (laughs) There are probably a few people. I think if there was an odds maker in Vegas, we would have really shot the odds at this point in time. And and maybe they're going to revise some of their odds predictions and we can all make some money on that. I am Todd. This is the blue team. I am Todd Wente. Uh, today we have with us, we are a complete blue team. We have Megan back from the dead wearing a blue shirt, by the way. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm I do sh- what I can. I'm sure Megan's mob is members. This, is this Megan or Megan Gola? Because she <laughs> said she's back from the dead. Oh, good call. Good so call. it's not but, Megan, it's Megola. But she doesn't have the <sighs> Tlelaxu eyes. So I'm kind of wondering oh, about that. Nice. I mean, you did just get your eyes done. I did. I did. I got LASIK, so I'm not wearing glasses anymore, and people don't still don't recognize me. <laughs> you probably, uh, if you're a fan of the podcast and you've been with us before, you heard Jack Butler joining us. Jack, say hey, say hi to the folks. Hello, everyone. I'm honored and delighted to be here once more. And we can tell <laughs> that you're a liar. Uh, <laughs> and we also have Ken with us here, starting the, starting us off. Somebody's got to keep you yahoos in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, where's that guy? Yeah, that, that's true. We he's, should have invited him. He's down in southern Utah, <laughs> and he's allowed us to have free reign of the studio. Craig, <laughs> Craig doesn't do this very often and allow us to have free reign of the studio. Is, so. is this the first episode that we've had where Craig hasn't been flitting around? In, oh, in, no. We, for the blue team? We had one. Remember when we had that one with, when that he one was time? in uh, he was in Europe? Oh, that's right. And that's we recorded right. without him. Well, but that was, we had Ryan too, and Ryan almost has, anyway, nobody wants to hear anyway, about that's, that. That's, that's, this is they all want to hear about God Emperor of Dune, so. Specifically, they want to hear Megan's impressions <laughs> on God Emperor of Dune. Well, we've, we've put Eridandis off for like two recordings now. And we'll get to that in just a moment, but I do want to just mention real quickly, those of you that have been with us for, for a long time now, you know, um, if you want to reach out to us, you can engage us on Twitter, you can engage us on Discord, certainly on Reddit, and we're going to be getting to some Reddit questions right here in the beginning. Uh, you can also reach out to us at thelegendarianpodcast.com or thelegendarianpodcast at gmail.com. There you go. Uh, with any of our names, you know, Megan at or Todd at or whatever. Um, and uh, please reach out and, en- and engage with us. We've got a Discord chat that's fairly, that's, uh, fairly active as well. We'd love to interact with you. The more that we interact with you, the better we can make this experience for all of us. So there you go. Certainly Patreon is still available for those of you that might want to donate and uh, and and help us as we try to find new ways of being able to engage with you. We're looking at next year at a couple of cons. Uh, I think Jordan Con, we've already started making plans for. And Yay. so traveling out to see you all, it determines whether or not we're going to be bringing one of us or all of us or leaving the most offensive one home. We'll let you kind of campaign as to which one is the most offensive. Um, 
So we've got uh, we've got Megan finally. Megan, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you thought, your initial impressions of God Emperor of Did Dune. we want to start with Jack's story about his copy? Oh, yeah, let's oh, do that. Yeah. Let's do that. Jack, he, tell us about your tell us about what happened and, about your and what was spilled on your paperback copy. Yeah, gladly. So uh, I first read God Emperor of Dune in February, and uh, in the lead up to the la- the last episode. I reread it just because I wanted it to be fresh in my mind and I wanted to impress all of you. Um, so Which you I did. had it in my, yep. well, thanks. Good. I'm, I'm glad I've, I've pulled another con on the world. Well, That's the fact that you actually read it instead of just listening to it on tape like that, that's impressive in and of itself. Uh, I don't trust those Dixian devices that play books on tape. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had it with me just sort of on my person, throughout in the in the week leading up to this podcast and i think it was on uh the monday before the podcast was recorded on a saturday there was this bizarre like 10 minute deluge in uh dc that just i got completely soaked and then i took the book out and it was also complete well not completely soaked but about half soaked um, but I just thought that was hilarious, and it took me a bit to register. <laughs> like, wait a minute, my copy of God Emperor of Dune is water damaged. <laughs> that's... Go on to a podcast to discuss the book. That, that's some it kind of irony be, or something. That's another one that yeah, the odds I, makers I in so. Vegas probably would have uh, would have worked with. I'm sure. I like that story. Yeah, so it was meant to be. Um, but now, Megan, you can you can. For those who don't know why that's significant, I don't know why you're listening to this, but maybe Megan can help you figure that out. <laughs> oh, I don't even know where to start. Somebody give me a place to start. What was what? your initial Let's impression? Let's start at the very beginning. My initial impression of this book is that it was not written for me. Um, I I got to the end and I I, I thought, you know, I needed more punching. I, really? I, I didn't, wow. Yeah, I just, what? I either need punching or I need a character that I care about and can connect with. And I didn't really get that in this book. Um, huh. I found a lot of the characters very annoying. Um, mostly in that they, they weren't terribly fleshed out, uh, which just bothered me. Anyway. Wait a minute, so wait a speak. minute. Agola wasn't fleshed out? Uh. The God Emperor is not fleshy enough for me. Um, oh, that's funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, I, I struggle with things that are like so political and it was a lot of, and I, just, I just thought, I, I want you to show me more things and I don't know. I just, I kind of struggled with this one. So I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. It was well written. I just didn't like it. Wow. So there's, there are my initial thoughts. I have plenty that I can say. Like there are so many things that I will be praising about this book. There are a lot of good things in it. I just think it wasn't necessarily written for me as an audience, which I think is weird because I thought I was the best person to write for. Yeah. I can be wrong sometimes. Um. Well, we'll we'll. I think we'll get to that. <laughs> I as think... we know, Todd thinks I'm wrong most of the time. Okay, come on. Craig thinks it's you're okay wrong most of the I, time. You know, I think you're wrong. I know occasionally. my value. Um, i'm just gonna stay in my lane over here you know with with that said um jack do you feel like do let's let let's riff on that for just a second jack as as you're thinking about this book do you feel like you were the target audience for this particular book i mean i don't know i don't usually go into books i don't always go into books thinking about whether they were made they were made for me but i i did i didn't really know what to expect with god god emperor of dune uh 
but I was just, I, I'm a huge fan of it. It is my, as I elaborated sort of at length in um, the first God Emperor of Dune episode, it's my favorite since the first. And in some ways, uh, some aspects of it are actually, I enjoy better than the first, uh, which, so maybe it was the perfect, um, maybe I was the perfect audience because I'm very susceptible to the type of character that the God Emperor is, the sort of uh, sci-fi archetype of the, omniscient being struggling to maintain contact with humanity uh i'm a huge duncan idaho fan Testify. Uh, the more <laughs> i feel like um i have a fever and the only prescription is more duncans and, <laughs> and there was there plenty were, of duncans in were, this one yeah there were well there were only two but they loomed large well there are only two in the actual book but there are many many more alluded to and it and, and again as i sort of went into in the last in the last episode it's almost comical, like the God Emperor's fixation on Duncan <laughs> Idaho. Well, yeah, like, they, they could have uh, cloned anybody from back in his time, and they picked Duncan Idaho, who was somebody who like who missed like a very significant portion of the history. But... I, I think there's a reason for that, but we won't talk about that today, I don't think. The, the Duneverse runs on Duncans. Well, it helps that Duncan is so familiar. <laughs> now, that's a good... Uh, that's that's well done. That's that's well, um, especially because you're out there and you're out there in D.C. where Duncan is. Uh, a I know. Dun I want to Dunkin' donut Donuts are, are are owner. They own everything out there, don't they? Oh, uh, there's some. Uh, this is more. That's more a Boston thing. Is Boston it? Boston runs on Duncan. Yeah, they're crazy yeah. for Duncan. <laughs> so, Ken, do you feel like you were the the part of the target audience for this for this particular book? No, not not especially. Well. Yes, in the sense that I am a fiction reader, you know, in terms of that, that I enjoy reading science fiction and fantasy. Yes, it is designed for me as in, hey, here is a fiction book written by a legendary author. You should read it. In that sense, yes. The story, once I get into it, uh, maybe it plods a little bit for me. I honestly did find a lot of the uh, weavings, the the political... Uh, I, I'm trying not to say machinations, but I'm going to say it anyway. Say it. The hey, political hey, machinations. There we go. I, I, the I've a lot of the uh, plots within plots to be interesting, at least interesting enough to keep my attention. Plans within plans. Plans within plans. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's funny because the the longer I go away from the book, the more I find myself wanting to read it again. So I I guess in that sense, uh, mission accomplished. Yeah, because it's it's one that draws, you know, draws you back. I, and I think if 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 I weigh in on the same question, I would have to say that I, I probably am the target audience. Um, I, I, I. But I feel in some ways that that this is this is one of those this is a series, the, the book in the series that is probably the one that I find most interesting revisiting. Well, and I thought it was interesting. I've, I was thinking about it while I was driving over here about how I kind of wish that we had read this book first and then treated all of the others as like a prequel. Really? Um, and kind of in, oh. been introduced that way, like coming in and reading God. And, and he like refer he alludes to what Arrakis used to be and the blue in people's eyes because of all of the um, the spice. And he, you know, this whole time he's he or in God Emperor of Dune, he's trying to get back to to making the planet more deserty so that they can continue making the spice and it can be what it was so probably should have always been. So the worms can live again, yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know, I just, 
I, I kind of just want to go back and read the other ones again to sort of be like, and this is where it all began. Yeah. So Megan, just just because I want I want to hear you say that I am right. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I, it, I'm crossing my fingers here. <laughs> Would you agree with me from what I said last time that it feels like more of a palate cleanser from the, the like the first three are, are a trilogy and then this one is a, a a divergence from that and then not having read the other three, I don't know. No, I mean the the three before it. You read those. Yes. I do think it stands on its own. Yeah. We could call it a palate cleanser. I don't know if I would have used that phrase, but yeah, it it it, it kind of does stand on its own. You don't necessarily, you get a lot more out of it having, I got a lot more out of it having read the first three books, but I don't know that you necessarily need to. Yeah. Like yeah. this one, it could, it could be its own thing. So uh, let's go oh. ahead and. Let's go ahead and yeah. She almost said you were she right. She almost said she I was almost right. said you were right. <laughs> you make a good point. I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to uh, another Reddit question. Do we have another one we well, can talk I, about? Uh, there were two. Well, one was my point, and one was uh, one that I we didn't get to last time from uh, actually from Twitter, and then it, he jumped over to Reddit. But okay. uh, Jakob Lechner on Twitter. Yep. He wanted to compare Dune to the Wheel of Time. He saw several comparisons uh, between Dune and the Wheel of Time. And interestingly enough, can, I saw... Can we do that without spoilers? Because I'm, I'm in the middle, or I'm like just beginning the seventh novel in the Wheel of Time. Yes. Okay. Um, and Jack, can, can you, you do that without... No, I have not read Wheel of Time, so... Okay, okay. Have well, fun. I, have fun, guys. I, I'm, well, I'm, trying to, Todd. I'm trying to figure out... Uh, now I'm trying to, to make sure that I don't give anything away, but I, I really don't think that I would in, in the sense that they're pretty fundamental throughout the entire series. Like for example, the, the biggest one being the Aes Sedai in, oh, sure. in the wheel of time and the Bene Gesserit in, in Dune. It's these two all female wizardy type, uh, orchestrating. Or, yeah. Groups that get their, their fingers into every pie and want to manipulate everything and, and, uh, just basically put their stamp of approval or disapproval on everything that's happening. So that's, that's one um, Rand and, and Paul are, are kind of the hero, yep. the, uh, the, the, the savior type. Rand Paul is the hero. Rand Paul is the hero. <laughs> Holy cow. Name. I wondered, I wondered if you'd grab onto that one. <laughs> that's right. It all makes sense. Robert oh. Jordan was right. Rand wow. Paul, 2020. Rand Paul's going to save oh, us all. Okay. Maybe he's, maybe he'll finally Rand run. Rand Paul 2020. 2020. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, so uh, similarities between Paul and Rand being the savior figure. I'm changing it there. Um, the Fremen and the Aiel. Oh, yeah. Both in the sense that they have, they're, they're kind of a warrior people, a, a noble savage type people that has a prophecy of a chosen one. And here the, the chosen one shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got that. There are a couple of others. I, I want to reserve what I say because I don't want to spoil anything accidentally. So, but, sure. but there, there are several similarities there. And of course there are similarities between Dune and Star Wars. Oh yeah. Well, since Star Wars was uh, yeah. greatly inspired by Dune, right, Jack? That's one word for it. <laughs> Plagiarized is another one. One certainly, certainly aspects were. I mean, when you're talking about when you're talking about Tatooine and Arrakis, and you're talking about the fact that Tatooine seems to be more pivotal in the in the series in the Star Wars books as things move on. Uh, we keep bringing everything back to Tatooine during the prequels, and and 
it's not going to surprise me at all if the final Star Wars film winds up going back to Tatooine again. But I'll tell you this right now, if anybody starts making that into a desert lush, uh, a lush paradise, I'm going to have a problem with it. Can I say, um, though, I think, I think it's interesting um, in Dune. It, it goes from being a desert planet to a paradise. Like, there's apparently no real in-between. Like, it's either a desert or it's, you know, or it's one. And I'm like, what? 3,000 years later, yeah. 3,000 years later. But yeah, there's no, I, I think it's interesting it that there isn't a lot of variation. Like, planets have variation as far as, well... Oh. The only class M planet I'm aware of is Earth, <laughs> but it's got, you know, it's got water yes. and it's got dry land and it's, you know, has so many options, but that is not always the case in science fiction. But... Yeah. Single, single biome planets is kind of a weak archetype of mm -hmm. sci-fi, but it's just, yeah. it's just so hard to like make a planet that's like, oh, there's desert here. There's forest here. Like if you're a Star Trek director in the 60s you can't make a planet like that you gotta just you just gotta have it be like a nazi planet or something that's much yeah. easier <laughs> much cheaper for the set guys to drag out like props from their their world war ii show yeah <laughs> um right but i i have a question as about wheel of time okay. um is this a series in which the author also died before completing it Yes. Yes, it is. What's the one I'm thinking of? No, that that okay, is that another... is true. Uh, Robert Jordan died before the series was completed, and it was finished by Brandon Sanderson. Yep. So. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So this is a warning to all of you aging fantasy and sci-fi authors out there. <laughs> Cough, finish your books. Cough. Uh, yeah, finish your books. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, yeah. or hire Brandon That's Sanderson all. to do it. One well, or the other. Brandon Sanderson or Kevin Anderson. So yeah, or Kevin Anderson. Kevin Anderson did a wonderful job with the rest of. Of course, the the interesting thing I think is that uh, with with Robert Jordan and and getting Brandon Sanderson, they just went forward with uh, with Dune, bringing in Kevin uh, Kevin J. Anderson. They went backwards, mm -hmm. uh, and they and they did all of the prequel setup for the Dune series, which which I have not exposed you guys to yet. Uh, and may never do because your experience, well, we got to get you through heretics. We'll see what you think of heretics. Um, which, which that quite honestly, one? that's the next one. Okay. That's the next one. I thought we were stopping at this one. Well, we were, but, but I think we've changed <laughs> she, our minds she while you were not listen. here. Oh, she didn't listen closely enough. You guys enough. will really enjoy that. I'm really excited <laughs> to hear what you guys have to say about that one. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> I might be able, I might be able to bribe you. Cause I promise. I promise. It, said that about this one, but okay. Well, I, I thought you'd I thought you'd get a kick out of the way that the God Emperor died. Um, I guess not. That's true. He had all these little worms popping out like adipose. And He's I so also cute. and I also thought that you'd get cute. a kick out of the rock climbing scene, but obviously not. Oh yeah, we <laughs> laughed about this last time. I know. I listened to the episode. It was a good one. Oh, and you guys were like, I just don't understand. I'm like, no, I. I could understand where that comes from. <laughs> and also, oh, really? it gives poor really? Nila something to do because that character is so flat. <laughs> she like literally, like she sits at a computer, she walks around, she fires, like she does nothing in this book. And I was like, okay, well, thank you for trying to flesh out her character just a little bit. So no what you're- Unintended? What, what I'm taking from all that though is you like rock climbing. Um, I mean, there, yes. <laughs> I'm taking from that that you like, like watching, watching people rock climb. back of people when they're active. That's all I'm going like, to say. Okay. <laughs> there's going to be, there's there's gonna be problems for that. There's a reason why I kind of enjoy football sometimes. Respect. There Respect. we go. Well, honesty. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, Ken, do we have any other questions from Reddit that we need to take a look at before we before we dive into the next questions that I have? Because uh, mine no. are probably not going to be near as much fun. 
I, I'm very interested to hear your questions, actually. So, uh, with with that said, let me grab my. Let me grab my notes. Oh, while, there we go. While you're while you're grabbing your notes, I do want to point out something that I didn't get enough time to mention last time, and that's uh, the role of Ganema in developing. I think in developing the the universe post Leto, meaning. I, we we talked a lot about how he was trying to breed the prescience out of out of the universe. Basically, yeah. that's that's what he was doing, and, and I think that him breeding uh, Ganema with uh, what was the guy's name? Not Aksan. Harak um, Harak Aladar Harak Aladar. I think like it was that. wasn't it? Something like that. But I think the last of the Carinos. I I feel like I feel like yeah, Leto the one who gets knew. Bene Gesserited. <laughs> yes, right. But I, I feel like Leto knew that that Ganema had that ability, that that lack of prescience. I mean, she was prescient, obviously, but mm-hmm. I think I think he saw that she had that in her genetics, which is part of the reason Paul didn't know she was there. Hmm, that's interesting. And I think that's why oh. she was so instrumental in, um. In, in the, the the golden path, and, it is interesting. And I guess I thought the reason that she couldn't be seen was because, like the rest of like like so many others of the Atreides, um, her existence was hidden from those with prescience, from those others with prescience, because the guild navigators couldn't see that um, anyone going forward. Paul could see, um, Paul could see Leto, because he had seen that he would have that that Chani would have or Chani would have children but did not see Ganema because she was hidden. Right. So I wonder if, I wonder if really Ganema was supposed mm-hmm. to be the Kwisatz Haderach and Leto stole that particular, uh, that particular prize away from his sister. Hey, wow. You I did not yeah, pick well, up the, subtlety the, well. All right. Yeah. Sorry, the last ahead, was the last sentences of um, the last words spoken in children of Dune are Ganema. And she says that one something like one of us had to, one of us was always going to have to bear the burden and he was always the stronger. Uh, and then we don't hear from her except by inference uh, in God Emperor Dune at all. But even though she is sort of instrumental um, in creating since here, I go back to the gross protuberance <laughs> since Leto the second can't reproduce. She, she's got to be the, she's got to carry the Atreides line forward. So right. in a sense, she's, at least as important as, or is she, I won't say at least as important, but she, she bears tremendous significance in this narrative in the, in the future of the Dune universe. Uh, but it's not, she doesn't get to be a main character in this book. Cause she didn't, she didn't uh, cover herself with worm goo like her brother did. Well, and I, and I wonder if there is a difference. I, I and this would be one of those places where um, a, a study of, a study of what, um, Brian Herbert meant with the Bene Gesserit and the way that their breeding program worked, if there were differences in the way that, because Duncan keeps mentioning, I will not be your stud. Um, you, you, you can't just use me to reproduce. And of course the God emperor has done that for 3000 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, <laughs> but I wonder if there was a, if there was a fundamental difference uh, in what the, what the women would bring to those breeding programs versus what the men would bring to the breeding programs and, and the way that that worked. I, that's, that's a question I'm not sure has, has an answer. Uh, of course, having said that, I'm sure somebody out there in the Reddit verse will have an answer for me and say, well, on such and such a date, this is what we learned. And I'll, I'll gladly retract my words. <laughs> say, sure. Say, okay. Great. Not that a problem. Sense. 
Uh, especially if it gets people to go to Reddit. That's right. So anyway, thank thank you for looking for your notes so that I could you know interject that. Yeah. So so here's the here's the first question that I had that I that I wanted us to talk a little bit about. Now m- most of us. Uh, and, and Jack, you're, you're over the age of, uh, you're over the age of 25, right? I just turned 26. Okay. Okay. So yes, About you're a over, month ago. close a month ago, exactly a month ago. Okay. So you're over 25. Mary on birthday. We, <laughs> and, and Ken and Megan and I are all, uh, also over the age of 25. So, um, we've, we've pretty much lived in a world that has had Dune as part of the science fiction landscape our most of our lives um but we also have the ability to go back and look at and read and sometimes watch science fiction and science fiction movies that were created prior to dune i'm thinking of things like star trek lost in space mm-hmm. um uh we've also got Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea we've got starship troopers we've got quite a quite a bit of of science fiction yeah. that that has that existed before that we've encountered um, especially that we've encountered here on the podcast mm-hmm. and science fiction that has existed after have you, w- other than the obvious ones that we've already talked about with, with, uh, the, with the, uh, Tatooine and Arrakis and some of those kinds of things, what things have you seen change or be changed as in science fiction as a result of Dune? Have you guys thought about that at all? I'll give you an example of one that I have. Um, and, and that is that. Politics is a major piece of most of the science fiction that I see moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the science fiction that I was seeing crafted before, um, for in, and and I think the best one one of the best examples of that is in the two, well, two of the three versions of Lost in Space, the Lost in Space in the nineteen sixties, nineteen fifty uh, late fifties early sixties. Um, and the Lost in Space of the 1990s. You remember that one? Yep. Oh yeah, that was. Um, and that Jack's Weird, laughing. Is that the at one me. where Gary Oldman turns into a spider? It yeah. sure is. That's the one. I saw that one. on a really good okay, date. I have your, your I have premise. like hazy recollections of that part of the movie. <laughs> your, your premise is stunted when you trust Matt LeBlanc to fly your spaceship. So mine, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember Matt LeBlanc. And in fact, I remember part of the reason that he had to put that he is the only one that had a spacesuit that covered his face. Is because there were filming conflicts between that film and Friends. Um, oh, sure. And then, you know, but yeah, but I, and Gary Oldman was also in an episode of Friends. He was. Yeah, that's right. Enough. He was. Um, but but in those two in those two films or in those two pieces of of science fiction, in the first one, there is no mention of the politics going on in the world at all. But in the second one. The very opening sequence is all about the politics of a group of terrorists trying to destroy the space, the, the space gate and uh, the political unrest on the planet that is that is uh, that has been caused by the enormous expenditures of trying to do this, uh, this it, this trip through the through space and try and get to some place where we can colonize because we've destroyed our planet with all of the things that we've done horribly to it blah 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 that is true. um and okay, yeah. and so for me one of the things that i've seen change about science because you watch any good star trek mm-hmm. and the i mean when you when you get right down to it in the 1960s star trek there is no mention at all whatsoever of political intrigue inside the Federation. That's true. There are a lot of 
there's a lot of commentary on social issues, but not so much the political. Yeah. The exception to this being Mirror Mirror, which is in which the, the dark universe is only political intrigue. <laughs> but that's not the Federation. Yes. Correct. Correct. I, I feel like it's not uh, that uh, there was no political intrigue. There was no political commentary or social commentary back then. I, I feel like uh, the difference is subtlety. That mm. the, no longer are you, you know, slipping that in there and letting people infer what they will from it or go, this can be an allegory for this comment or for this social issue. This can be a, a representation of that. Now it is just pure browbeating. This is what I mean. <laughs> and you will understand and accept my point of view. So this is well, how democracy and, dies. Well, are you saying that's that that's that that's something that's modern? Because Star Trek could be pretty browbeaty. It could. Um, but <laughs> just remember the episode that had. The Riddler actor in it. I was like, "Oh yeah, Frank Gorsuch." Oh, really? Is this a metaphor for race relations? Oh, I <laughs> that's right. I, I wasn't as you, sure. <laughs> as you, as you notice, we are completely different. He is black on the left. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I refer to that episode all the time. It's one of my favorite ones. Very weird. One of my favorites. That one, uh, Mirror Mirror, and um, well, the one basically, with the pizza monster. Basically, all of them. Well, and they maybe, were all my favorite. And, and maybe it's the fact that it is old and I am less old, but it. <laughs> <laughs> it, Ouch. it didn't feel as it didn't feel as uh hammer to a nail you know well yeah. it's also it's also interesting to think about how um technology in our society has evolved where uh, just in the last i guess 50 or 60 years where you know back in the 50s the best way to get a hold of somebody was by telephone, but people only had like one telephone in their house. Right. And you get to the eighties and every teenager has a telephone in her room, apparently. And, uh, sounds know, like I, you I, didn't, are you still a little bitter about that? No, I did. I did. Yeah. This is, I sense bitterness, <laughs> <laughs> but, but then know. your brother had a telephone too, and he could get on the line and he could frustrate your conversation. Wah, wah. But like, as we, <laughs> as we, um, in the 80s, like information was a lot easier to get and there were more televisions and people and there were more channels on television and it was easier to get access to information. So I think people became a lot more politically aware. Um, and uh, and Frank Herber obviously grabbed on that and um, created this. It could be an allegory. I don't know. I just like to say allegory. Allegory. Um, um, so while we're talking about technology, I think so I. I I would the sense I get of the Dune Dune's impact on science fiction is that um, it kind of got it forced the whole genre to work a little harder. Yes, because and here's why I think this the so the whole Butlerian Jihad, which in the original run of novels it's never really fully fleshed out. It's but it's always in the background explained yes. like we had this almost religious crusade against thinking machines. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that forced that forced um, Frank Herbert away from a lot of the like low hanging sci-fi fruit. Like he couldn't deal with any Asmavian robot stuff. Couldn't didn't really have um, like high technology aside from spaceships, which you need and like ships to harvest the spice. Um, so what he had to do was make the bring the human element to prominence again or the yeah well it's all human basically the human element and make it interesting and make like the human element and then also the other thing if technology is kind of out of the picture or not if not completely out of the picture then 
restrained, then the planet itself, then which this action takes place, has to become more interesting. And like half of Dune hmm. is really about the ecology of Arrakis, which yes. is something that was kind of new to sci-fi at the time. But now, now everyone's like, oh, got really complicated planets unless they just do single biome planets because they're lazy. Um, so I think those would be two big effects: is the making the human element more interesting by restraining the like whiz bangery uh, that was. A lot of sci-fi in the early days was kind of like, oh, what if we had this really cool thing? How, what would that be like? Uh, mm -hmm. And also just treating a planetary environment like an actual environment. Like, okay, we have an entire planet that's a desert. How did it become a desert? What keeps it a desert? What lives in the desert? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. I love it. Well, and I, I think of things like the oral histories, and I was unclear as to whether that was a written history, if it was the true oral histories that... Um, one or more persons in the uh, society had to learn and then would repeat to the children often because Leto would, he talked with Siona a lot about, you know, well, if you've read the oral histories or if you've, you know, if you know the oral histories, you know that I said this or you know that this is a thing that I care about. And, um, and they refer to that a lot. And I just thought it's, you know, when you don't have a computer to write things down or when you don't have, do they have a printing press? I don't know. He has written journals that she steals at some point, but how right. in the world? Yeah, Moneo actually has an illegal computer. Remember? Because <gasps> oh, right. uh, at one point in Gunnar of Dune, he's like in his office secretly typing away and musing like, oh, this would be, if anyone knew I had this, I would be, I would be killed or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's another thing that's pretty interesting uh, for me, at least in the way that they, the way that Dune treats um, technology is, and, and, uh, Leto II says this at, at some point, and I can't remember if we talked about this, but the idea that a people are easier to control when, when they, they have to walk. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah. We talked a lot about this we, in the last episode. Yeah, we talked about that. And the idea that... A population that walks is easier to control. Yep. The idea that um, the idea that the technology, the impact of technology um, and, of the, and of the ability to travel um, in Dune is something that he treats as a piece of control... But throughout much of the rest of science fiction, the goal is to travel. The goal is to escape. The mm -hmm. goal is to go someplace else. That's true. And I wonder if yeah, what's the what's the Heinlein novel? Have have starship have, will travel. Have spaceship. Have spacesuit will travel. Spaceship. Spacesuit. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and and so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of this. Uh, he's he's done a wonderful job of creating a a star star spanning empire. That all of the interesting things happen on one planet. Okay, I guess that one we have to get back to George Lucas for having stolen. Um, but but most of the rest of the uh, most of the rest of the science fiction that that we consume on a regular basis is about and and deals very specifically with the technology used to do that travel. All of the planetary stuff is left alone. It's the space that they explore. Whereas. Um, Frank Herbert did a really wonderful job of setting all of the technology in such a way that it was the land that was explored. Mm -hmm. But he also does something that is, uh, I, again, it's become a trope a little bit in science fiction. And that's his eugenics program. The same thing that the Bene Gesserit were doing, the same thing that he was doing. All of this breeding for particular characteristics and traits. Which is fascinating to me because you mentioned in the last episode that they are not a sexually inhibited peoples. Um, where it's like, oh yeah, Duncan, you can sleep with anybody you want, and oh, except for Hui, don't don't sleep with her. Exactly. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and yet There's he, he cares exception. so much about certain people's specific, like you have to mate with this person and you have to do this with this person. And then everybody else is like, ah, whatever. Look at all these little kids running around with my fish speakers. They're so cute. I guess you can retire. You've got six kids. That's fine. <laughs> also, I did appreciate that Duncan finally did get his Jessica, even if it wasn't the Duncan that we knew. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of nice. I, I <laughs> okay. I wonder if For that was a wink or a random. nod. I don't know. I don't know. Um, what do you think about the the uh, now? One of the questions I ask, uh, I have frequently asked as we're talking about science fiction, is in what way do you see science driving the fiction? And in this book, that's that was my big that was my big question. I've kind of given you maybe a little bit of a glimpse as to what I think it is possibly the answer. But what do you guys think? In what way does the science drive the because and i'm i'm filibustering a little bit to let you think because i'm seeing all of your faces think and all of your all of your wheels turning um i i i have struggled uh when people look at me and say oh that's really good space science fiction and i look at them and i say no that's really good space opera um that's not necessarily science fiction because in order for me to say that something is science fiction i want to see how the science drives the fiction well, i don't N not just that it's an uh not there's just that it's put in the future or just that it's put in space it's got to have something about the science that drives the fiction i don't know if it's necessarily a, a specific scientific uh thing that drives the fiction and this more of a scientific concept and that of uh, of genetic breeding genetic manipulation or or uh, societal manipulation based on uh, on genetic you know uh manipulation <laughs> A lot of manipulation in there, but it, <laughs> it, it's something that has been toyed with and we get better at, you know, in terms of actual science where we can, uh, what, uh, program out uh, certain characteristics, yeah. certain defects. We see that, that, uh, something is going to be wrong and we can correct it in utero before that child is born now. And, uh, so I, I can see in terms of, of that concept, his whole Leto's whole breeding program driving society forward because his whole point in, in being for 3,500 years is is uh, nudging society, nudging humanity one way or another so that it, it all gets on this perfect one little path where society will survive okay. somehow. Which I still have a problem with, by the way. I, yeah. This is a little bit of a tangent. The, the whole idea that, okay, now I have perfected society and now it will survive. You can't know that. You can't, <laughs> you cannot program right? for the human element, for the human condition. Somebody will inevitably go and screw that up. Or somebody in the last 3,500 years will probably have done something to to ensure that humanity survive. Anyway, it just, that, that was the biggest problem I had with the whole golden path thing in the first place. But short story long, I think that the genetic, the idea of genetic programming is what is the science that drives this story. Okay. Jack, how about you? Uh, so I think I want to go sort of bigger picture here. Cause really the whole, um, you sort of alluded to this with the, the, the bit about the population that walks is easier to control really the whole modus operandi of of this book is that uh, the sort of intimate relationship between um, the, the knowledge, the collective knowledge that a society possesses and the level to which it can advance as a civilization. Okay. So it, it's really like 
um, the the how do I put this? The level at which uh, the the, so that the 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 Dune universe finds itself uh, is sort of determines where where it exists on the. <laughs> I, I this is such an abstract point. I'm struggling to find concrete terms for it. But I so the best the best thing I can do for this is to analogize to another book that makes this point for me. Have you have any of you read? Um, did we lose you for a second? Uh, there you are. You're coming back. Oh, what was the last thing you heard me say? Uh, we heard you say, have any of you read? And then you stopped. Oh, really? What a cliffhanger. And I um, wanted to be sarcastic and be like, yes. Read... Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> have any of you read Canticle for Leibowitz? No. Or heard of it? No. I've heard of it, but I haven't oh, read it's it. A, it. It's a, it's one of my favorite books. And it's, it, it is similar to God Emperor of Dune in the respect that it, it, has a gigantic timeline and treats the questions of uh, civilizational survival and transmission of knowledge. Uh, oh no, you're cutting out again. Ways that they, these are two coterminous. Um, these are the same real problem really. And the God Emperor controls the civilization by controlling what the civilization is allowed to know. Mm -hmm. He's like the fount of knowledge for the whole thing. He controls its advance by doling pieces out here and there. Nothing happens beyond his uh, beyond his ambit that is not within his permission. So really, it's like a, a statement about how, in, in the terms of science driving the fiction, it's literal, literal. The science, the the level of um, advancement that the civilization is allowed to achieve determines uh, where where it exists. And where it will go next, and so that's like a very, it, it's sort of consonant with the early sci-fi and its obsession with progress and like we need to build all these cool things so we can live on Mars. But I think Herbert brings a bit more of a, uh, he he brings more of a nuanced edge to it because he he thinks about things in a bit of a longer term, thinks about the risks of the, that technology can pose, that science can pose, and how someone would go about mitigating them. Again, in a sort of extreme fashion in this book, but it's still something worth considering. Yeah, I like it. Well, and, and building on that, I was thinking about the psychology of the thing where he has been around for 3,500 years and he knows people. Yeah. And yes, every once in a while he's surprised, but he knows exactly like um, he knows exactly how to test Siona so that she gets on his side. He knew how to test Maneo um, and it wasn't the same. It was in a very different way. And he's able to personalize um personalize those things and i'm sure that there were pairings where people were supposed to mate and uh they didn't want to but he knew how to make it happen and he knew how to manipulate people and he knew the psychology of people um i think also the science fiction um i guess we already kind of talked about it how it's driven by the land but the fact that it goes from being a desert planet into like slowly being created into a um a paradise I don't know, a paradise foresty place um and but the whole plan is for him to get that back to uh the desert or at least give more space for the um the little baby worms i can't think of what they're called the sand trout Thank the little you. makers yes oh yeah. no no different yeah sorry so the other one that i and and as as i've as i've dug more into the book i think uh, the 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 genetics, the the controlling of the controlling of information, um, I think those are those are really interesting themes that run through that. 
there's uh, the obviously the environmental themes that that run through there are are there as I think as stark warnings, but they also touch in a different area, and that is how one thing can change everything with either its presence or its absence, and that is the spice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and Jack, I don't know if uh, I don't know if you uh, I'm sure you've seen this in other places, but I I don't know if we ever talked about the fact that in one of our early episodes uh, we talked about this the uh, the way that the spice is uh, compared very, very frequently to petroleum products, uh, to uh, to fuel, um, to and to the way that spice. You know, they talk about how spice is used in how how spice showed up in everything on Arrakis, and it showed up in everything in the Empire uh, at a point. And I, I remember the other day I was I was. Uh, I, I was thinking about how much petroleum we use in our in in my house, uh, and I thought, well, you know, I've got to got to start cutting back. And I thought, well, I can. Where can I start cutting back? Because <laughs> because when I start talking, you know, until I'm uh, unless I'm going to go to to because uh, some of my favorite clothing is made with polyesters and rayon and some some uh, artificial fabrics that are created from petroleum distillates. Uh, and so, okay, well then I've got to, I've got to switch someplace else. And uh, all of this, all of this, uh, uh, um, omnipresence and dependence on petroleum, uh, has, has, uh, I, I, I wonder how much Frank Herbert was really pushing this idea to make us all consider the fact that our over-dependence upon petroleum in the same way that the over-dependence on the spice keeps a people from really being able to move forward. I I don't know. He's he not here. He who controls the spice controls the universe. <laughs> Thank you, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Be, oh. Yeah. That was me trying to do the unhinged Harkonnen from the movie. I, I did um, think it was interesting that he didn't ever mention the Baron, but I felt like he probably drew upon the Baron in order to be, I mean, he was not exactly a benevolent, benevolent oh, ruler. No. Yeah. But oh there is there is a an allusion to the baron right at the beginning um yeah uh i this i didn't know this offhand i just happened this is this is very easy to find don't be impressed oh. with me um my this is leto giving his sort of like pseudo biblical introduction when he talks about his his uh ancestry so he's done that and now, then he says my paternal grandfather died as many good Greeks did, attempting comfortably now in my ancestral memories. So he is there, but he's uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, and it is a um it is a a fascinating uh it is it is a fascinating weaving through the story of being able to keep all of these people, including the ancient Greeks as well as uh, all of the modern mythic heroes that he, that Frank Herbert wants to put together, to, how he how he gets them all playing on the same battlefield of passion, of control, and of of trying to help civilization, society move forward. Um, I think it's a I, th- I think he does a good job. So I guess um, before we get into the before we get into the last question, because I want to ask I want to ask Megan if she's got any scenes that are going to stand out, and if we want to make any adjustments on the predictions that we might see in heretics of dune but i want to ask the question that i that i started alluding to by talking about petroleum does this book have any 
uh, any warnings that resonate to you that you would say to yourself, hmm, on a on a level three piece, and remember level one being a really good story, level two uh, being about politics, and I think we've we've been very clear that there's a lot of political information, a lot of things that we can think about politically, but level three being about how we live. Are there any really um, powerful, and, and what it means to be human, what it means to be a good human, are there any real level three things that jumped out at you about this book? For me, I, I had a couple things. One is I found the whole, the concept of the fish speakers very interesting, where he, uh, Leto decided to have women be the military or his bodyguards. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, boy. Just, we, we, I deliberately was like, we don't have to talk about this. Yeah, I wasn't I mean, we talk don't, about that We don't have ahead. to go into a lot of detail, but I just think that it was interesting that he purposely wanted these women and he wasn't worried about them. Oh, no, we have to sterilize them so that they can just be warriors. But he wanted mothers. He wanted women who appreciated life because they've given life and they've, like, you know, birth is a difficult process and you can die. Um, and so he wanted these people who really understood um, the miracle that life is to help to protect him and to protect his people because they are less likely to kill um, when they do appreciate life. And I I think one of the scenes that really stands out to me is um, where they're doing the the Sayanak um, ceremony, for lack of a better term. Um, And You mean the Holy Sacrament to Leto, the gross protuberance? Yes, that one. Um, (laughs) And he has all of these fish speakers come in who are about to um, retire and they have children of varying ages. And in my mind, I just I sat there and I just thought, you know, here here are these women who um, are putting themselves in harm's way to protect their life, to protect their God emperor, um, the God of the spice. And uh, I don't know, that just that said a lot. And I just sat there and I'm like, well, if they're taking care of the no, if they're if they're being the warriors, who's taking care of the kids and who's, you know, and I just I want to be a strong woman who can help to defend the people I care about against the evil in the world. Okay. Well, and I think, I, I, I don't think anybody would say that, um, I, let me rephrase. I think the, the image for me of the most fearsome creature on the planet is a mother grizzly bear with someone in between her and her cub. Yeah. And so when, when Leto makes that choice, and everybody says, well, you know, aren't they, aren't they going to be, you know, how, how can they be trusted to be the, the, the strong ones and the mm-hmm. tough ones? I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, 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 obviously I haven't gone to Yellowstone and had to, had to watch a mother grizzly bear run across a field and say to yourself, boy, I'm glad I'm not in between that mother and her cub. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've seen that. So that's kind of interesting. Thank you. I appreciate that. Jack, how about you? Any, any level three stuff that you found in this book? I, this makes no sense given that I'm not really that old yet, Uh, but (laughs) the whole, um, the God Emperor's obsession, not obsession is the wrong word, because it's, it's a rational thing. He he is very, he's extremely concerned and and very deliberate about his relationship to posterity. Mm -hmm. And perhaps he is uniquely positioned to have this obsession because of all of the past experiences that are contained within him and all of the future um, happenings that he knows are on their way. Uh, but 
I I am as I age, as I as I grow old, I'm <laughs> I'm increasingly uh, conscious of uh, myself in in the stream of history, where I am, and what will come after me, whether whether I'll have a legacy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something that the God Emperor is very concerned with, and he in fact is predicting. He, he seems almost conscious of something. Oh wait, I won't say what happens in Heretics of Dune. But he is conscious. He is. He is. He predicts that they will that subsequent generations will despise him, but then eventually realize what he was doing and thank him. Um, I don't know if that will be true of my my uh, posterity, but, but we'll find out, I guess. But just the the idea of being the sort of hyper consciousness he has of the past and the future and the present. And the concern with posterity, that's something I strongly related to. I'm not sure if it inclined me to make myself a better person because (laughs) I certainly wouldn't want to employ Lido-esque methods uh, to uh, guard my legacy, um, even if they were available to me, which... I don't think they are. Uh, if you guys, if you guys find <laughs> You're any Melange, let me know. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, trust me. If I find um, any Melange, I'm certainly not going to be giving it to you first. Yeah. The- <laughs> I I want you to finish your thought. Your you have okay. <laughs> um, it it is interesting um, though. No, that's all I had to say. Okay, good. Um, sorry, I was interrupting you. Um, I, I one of the things that Lido. I mean, you were talking about how you're not sure that you'd want to be as you know, strict or as harsh as Leto has to be sometimes. And Leto is very aware of it. And I, I think he knows that there is a need for that. It's like a parent who, I'm not your friend, I'm your mom. You know, you have to put your foot down every once in a while. And he, when talking of Mineo at one point, he refers to himself as a... <laughs> what's that? Or your gross protuberance. <laughs> Ew. Um, he talks about how he is the predator. And he says, the predator improves the stock by picking off the weak. Or at least I put in the by picking off the weak. Um, which makes everything else stronger. So yeah. sometimes you do have to bring down the hammer in order to help somebody to learn the lesson that they have to or um, or not throw down the hammer in order for your child to learn the lesson that they need to. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, I, I, I'll be honest, I really, and I think I mentioned this last time too, I really struggled to find very much level three mm-hmm. uh, in, in this book. There was, there there were some places where I could see some level one. This for me was a huge level two. Uh, it was a, it was a huge, uh, uh, pursuit through level two. Um, but if there was a, if, if there were, if there were some moments of level three, one of them was that, uh, for me at least was to remember that choices have consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, and that there are some choices that we that are, that are difficult choices to make that must be made. Um, and whether that is, and, and while that works very well for a level two kind of a deal, it also works very well for a level three. Um, because there are, there are times when I have been, uh, faced with, uh, especially as it deals with, uh, family and children, there are times that I am faced with choices that, that while unpleasant, must be made in particular directions and they can span in very trivial things to very momentous things. Um, but I also recognize as I am looking at those kinds of choices that 
that I have to weigh, I have to be careful as I'm making those choices that I weigh them based on the outcomes, based on their intended consequences. Because if I'm only doing it based on the, on the desirability of the choice, mm-hmm. I'll never make them. And I think Leto mentions that uh, at a couple of points when he talks about how his father shied away from it because he couldn't give up his humanity. He couldn't give up his Cheney. Um, but he was willing to give up his humanity. He was willing to do this for the good of humanity. And I'm not sure it necessarily did him any favors. Um, but I, but I certainly recognize that that is something that I will carry away from me from this book of being able to say choices have consequences. We have to be in, and, and when you're making choices, sometimes as unpleasant as those choices might be, you have to make them based on the outcomes that you intend for them to create. Which is just fascinating. Just thinking that he made this choice when he was nine and yes, he was a remarkable child. Was he 11? I don't know, but he was a child when he made this choice yeah. and mm-hmm. he reflects often on, you know, I, I'm i fine. I don't really need my gross protuberance. That's cool. And then he meets Hui and he realizes like, this is the woman he would have wanted to share his life with if she had been available. Like if he had met her would th- back at that point, would things have been different? Oh. And I struggle with Hui. I just I feel like she has no personality. She's just like so sweet. And I just, I can't. Yeah, I, she's not a... Gr- Go ahead. She's not a great character, especially because the the I don't know if if Herbert originated this trope of the the super being kind of tethered to humanity by this one thread. It's very it's very similar to the Watchmen plot. Yes. With Dr. Yeah. Manhattan and the Silk Spectre. Um, but uh, yeah, Hui as this like when I re- every time Hui is in the narrative, I'm like, oh, so this is the one thing keeping the God Emperor tethered to humanity. Really? This like, well, yeah, and okay. she's just so willing to sacrifice like her whole life and everything because she feels sorry for him. Like, yes, pity is a way that love can start and it can develop, but also except when Duncan's in the room. Yeah, ah, Duncan. <laughs> I I just I struggle because I'm thinking of Jabba the Hutt, and in in my mind, Hui is um Haley Atwell's character from Cinderella, and she's just like the loveliest, <laughs> sweetest thing ever. And I'm like, I I just don't see the two of them together, see? and neither can anybody else in the novel, but. Yeah. It makes me crazy. Yeah, I would agree. I just thought he, he was dull. Nothing happened with Nayla. I don't know. Well, we're getting close to the, we're getting close to our time for, for the length of our episode, but I wanted to take just a couple of seconds. Megan, we didn't get an opportunity to ask you if there is a scene that you will take with you from this, from this book. Is there, is there anything that you will say, yep, I'm going to remember that, that little exchange. That one's going to stick with me. Ooh. Um, if you say rock climbing, I swear. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I think, I think I've already talked about it. It's, it's the one with all of the, the fish speakers with their children. And the sea and um, And then, and also actually, now that you mention it, the scene where, um, Sayana takes Duncan to the little village where, mm. um, oh, the yeah. previous Duncan had had his family. And the little boy comes running up and he's so excited. And all of a sudden he looks at Duncan and says, you're not him. And he just knows you're not my dad. Um, and then he knows that his dad has Something died. Like, like that's that just happened very to me when I, when a dog, I was walking by a house and uh, this dog, there was a fence, fenced in yard and a dog got really excited to see me and its owner was out or one of its owners was out. And then when the owner saw how excited the dog was getting, uh, the owner said, 
that's not who you think it is. <laughs> and I assume that the dog, she, she assumed that the dog mistook me for the other owner, but I was just so bummed. I was like, man, I'm not, I'm, I'm really, why'd you have to make that dog so bummed? Gotta play with that dog. <laughs> yes, Come on. That was a good scene. Yeah. Um, that was a good scene. Yeah. So, um, uh, Jack, any any adjustments uh, or predictions that you think uh, people should look forward to if they do decide to venture into Heretics of Dune? You've already, well, of course, you've already read Heretics, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, so I'm trying to think how I can, I, I can <laughs> expand slightly upon the almost spoiler I gave earlier. What would you tell um, Megan to try and convince a, her to to read the book? Well, that's going to be hard because, well, I won't say too much about heretics, but I will say that <laughs> the the question of whether posterity will respect the legacy of Leto II will be answered by Heretics of Dune. Yes. That is something that will be answered. Um, so you should expect that to be addressed in Heretics of Dune. Um, and, oh, the... Oh, we lost you on buffering again. Oh, we got yeah. you. We got you back, but we lost you when you said "um," and then it stopped. <laughs> well, that doesn't help him know where he was. I know it doesn't help us either, and oh, it looks like I... we... there we go. Uh, so, what was the last thing you heard me say before the "um"? You'd said that heretics would answer the question as to whether or not they were going to respect his legacy. Okay, and the other question is whether whether the God Emperor is in Heretics of Dune, like not just. Not just his legacy, but like him, because he's not in God Emperor. We learn that he's not going to completely die. So true. what what is he what's left of him physically in Arrakis in the future? I don't know. Yeah. Tune in next time to find out. Yeah. <laughs> same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> Any guesses, Megan? You really don't even care, do you? I really don't. Yeah, I'm okay. so sorry. That's okay. Um, I I will I will save any of my spoilery stuff and just say this: um, as a blue team, we're going to have a conversation, a long conversation about this. I think that there is some value, uh, and that some of you will be really thrilled to finish uh, and and read Heretics of Dune, and some of us will not. So we'll we'll talk about it. We'll decide what we're going to do. Uh, and we'll, we'll publish that. We'll let you know what we're going to be reading next, whether it's going to be a, whether we're going to pick up another Dresden, uh, or if we're going to do Heretics of Dune, or maybe if we're going to do both. What a thought. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's, there's always a possibility that we might be able to pull off a little bit more. Maybe we'll do that as a Patreon exclusive, um, for those that would like to, to finish off the series. Um, we'll kind of see how that goes. We'll talk about it and we'll let you know. In the meantime, um, I just want to thank you all for listening, for taking the time. Uh, hopefully we've made your experience with Dune uh, and with this magnificent series a little more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. We'll see you next time. All right, Jack, you ready? Uh, uh, hold on one second. Let me...
you want me to hold on to? All right, I am me. ready now. I must not I'm delay. I'm just gonna follow you guys. The podcast killer. I, can't get I got used my. To I got my water damaged copy of God Emperor of Dune right here, and I'm gonna mention this time that it was water damaged. I keep forgetting to <laughs> tell people that. <laughs> was it that way when detail. you bought it, or did you drop something on it? No, no, it happened. I, I, I can explain if, if you if you cue me in. I can explain what happened because uh, it's it's very it's very relevant to this. I think we should start with that. And I then I think we will start with that.